Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Partially Examined Life Philosophy Podcast Part 1 episodes are designed to be self-contained, fully satisfying experiences in themselves. But for hardcore philosophy fans, we record for another hour or so to release behind our various paywalls to folks that pitch in to help us make this show. What you're about to hear is a preview of one of these Part 2 episodes. We hope you enjoy it. You're listening to episode 282, where we're reading Paul Feyerman's Against Method from 1975. And I still cannot pronounce his name correctly, but (laughs) (laughs) we left off part one, where after some general introduction, we were getting through the details of the first part of the book. And I think we're on chapter one now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, as Paul, I'll just call him Paul now. Starts it off. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> Starts it off. He says, uh, "This is shown both by an examination of historical episodes and by an abstract analysis of the relation between idea and action. The only principle that does not inhibit progress is anything goes." This is one of the things that he's really famous for for saying in this um, is doubling down on the anarchistic nature and just saying anything goes and all kinds of really uh, tightly wound philosophers of science and scientists got all kinds of wound up about the fact that he said anything goes he starts off this chapter by saying that whatever your epistemological rule is science violates it at one time or another and that's actually necessary for progress revolutions in fact scientific revolutions in fact happen because they break methodological rules and then it's, you know, there are, there are circumstances in which it's advisable to use hypotheses that are either ad hoc or contradict well-established and generally accepted experimental results or are not even consistent with themselves or contra Lakatos, whose content is smaller yep. than an existing or empirically adequate alternative. So that's the claim at the beginning. And then he goes on into some very general kinds of arguments for this sort of thing, including the idea that, you know, we see in, this is really interesting to me, that the way we teach small children, Mm -hmm. it's not as if they become rational beings because, hey, we're, look at us rational adults, absorb it. There's some sort of natural development that is going on and, you know, we may facilitate it educationally, but it's not simple absorption. And then the same thing goes for transformations in adult cultural institutions. At that point, we get the whole incommensurability thesis coming into play, where basically, if there's some sort of cultural transformation, if there's some sort of change in cultural institutions, it's not just that a theory has changed. It could be that your standards of argumentation, as he puts it, have changed your standards of what actually counts as rational actually counts as reasonable have changed so that the conflict between the defenders 
of the old way and the new way are not just about competing theories, which can be settled according to common rational standards. They're about the standards themselves. And that the only way that you could possibly settle that conflict is in some non-rational way, say through propaganda or coercion. But it's not that we can be impressed by their logical force because they're the things that determine what counts as having logical force. I think that's a very interesting sort of argument that the way I explained it makes sense. It, it does, but I think that you went, f- it felt like you went further than he. Yeah. That, that whole bit at the end about logical force and it being a passion or aesthetics or, you know, pick something else that wasn't a rational program or a, a rational criteria. He says some of that stuff, but he doesn't go as far as what you just said at the end. I thought he did. I mean, that's my summary of sort of 16 to 17. Can I just read? This section, because I... Yeah, please do. I think it has a great punchline. What page are you reading on? Page 15. There are even circumstances, and they occur rather frequently, when argument loses its forward-looking aspect and becomes a hindrance to progress. Nobody would claim that the teaching of small children is exclusively a matter of argument, and almost everyone now agrees that what looks like a result of reason, the mastery of a language, the existence of a richly articulated perceptual world, logical ability, is due partly to indoctrination and partly to a process of growth that proceeds with the force of natural law. And where arguments do seem to have an effect, this is more often due to their physical repetition than to their semantic content. Having admitted this much, we must also concede the possibility of non-argumentative growth in the adult as well. Could we stop right there for a second so I can say something about the child part? Go ahead. So it's just that in children, right, to create a rational child We don't say, let me convince you via logic that you should be rational. That's the point. The sources of rationality are non-rational. That's a very important point. They come about through indoctrination and through growth. That's his point here, but go on. And then he's going to apply that to, to institutions. Right. Well, and he's saying that like you don't learn language through argument. But also you don't, you don't learn logic by having someone logically prove to you that you should accept logic. Exactly. So he says, having admitted this much, we must also concede the possibility of non-argumentative growth in the adult as well, as in institutions such as science, religion, prostitution, and so on. Oh, isn't he clever and transgressive? Anyway, go ahead. Yes. (laughs) That's pretty transgressive and amusing for 1975, don't you think? To put prostitution in the... Alongside religion and science. Some category of science and religion. (laughs) Yeah. The three big ones. (laughs) the three big cultural institutions. This is also the same page where he has the footnote about Bohr, where I thought reading it that I was like, okay, he and Lakatosha are talking about exactly the same thing. Yeah, I skipped that footnote too. But what I was saying on my summary of his on page 16 was to the, you know, which you guys it sounds like think are is stronger than what he was saying was just that this is kind of my read on what he's saying and how the child example applies to cultural adult institutions, but it's just that the, in the same way that you don't use logic to get a child to be logical, the sources of a child's rationality are themselves irrational, their indoctrination and natural physical development. The same thing goes for human, for changes in human institutions. So the way he puts it is 
So this is on page 16. If the old forms of argumentation turn out to be too weak a cause, must not these defenders either give up or resort to stronger and more irrational means? Skipping down a little bit. Even the most puritanical rationalists will then be forced to stop reasoning and to use propaganda and coercion, not because some of his reasons have ceased to be valid, but because the psychological conditions which make them effective and capable of influencing others have disappeared. So in other words, if you operate within one conceptual scheme in which statement P counts as a rational statement or a good reason, and that conceptual scheme changes, you're dealing with someone in a new conceptual scheme, you can't just say to them, well, don't you see that P is rational according to our shared rational standards? The person in the new conceptual scheme will say, no, because I'm not operating according to the same standards. And how do you solve conflicts like that? They cannot be solved by reasoning and persuasion in the persuasion in a higher sense. They can only be solved through coercion or indoctrination or natural, material, physical development, things like that. That's the analogy that I think holds with the children. So I I take back my claim that you were overstating how far you went. You're right. Rereading the section really quickly, your summary, I think, was right on. You know, at the end, he says, getting to the epistemological part in the middle of 17, he says, creation of a thing and creation plus full understanding of a correct idea of the thing are very often parts of one and the same indivisible process and cannot be separated without bringing the process to a stop. The process itself is not guided by a well-defined program. It cannot be guided by such a program for it contains the conditions for the realization of all possible programs. It is guided rather by a vague urge, by a passion. So I had a couple of thoughts on this section. On this part right here, this seemed to me to be him saying that he disagrees with Lakatos when he completely agrees with Lakatos, right? Because I think that Lakatos's view of scientific progress involves a pluralism of research programs all working around one another, but that science itself isn't a research program. Like the, the activity of science is not a unitary research program, but it's a heap of research programs, a ecology of research programs. And then to the part with the irrational justifications and stuff like that, he seems to be saying that if you have a cultural environment or a political environment in which you had, I'll call it logical rules that we would consider deeply illogical right? One plus one equals three, something like that. I don't know what it is. Once that happens, and then that's just true. And there's a way in which you would say, well, yeah, it's true in the sense that the standards by which that culture is working is that that's the way the quote unquote math of the culture works. But the thing that you have to answer then is, is it really only the case that force will cause that to be corrected? Or is there some other appeal that goes on that people become convinced of, I'll call it, something that's more correct in a way that does not involve force? And if that's true, then something else is going on. Yeah. It may be that there is a dollop of indoctrination that's called education and a dollop of force that is called the authority that decides on 
how this proceeds, right? But it seems like there's got to be something else going on that you need to account for. Maybe it's this natural growth. Like what the hell is natural growth that he's talking about? If it's not carrying the weight of rationality. Yeah, I think he does have a very good point here. And he's getting at a paradox that we've seen in other areas, right? So when we talk about establishing a civil society, a domain in which law and order operates, we can't do that via law and order, right? We need the state to take a monopoly on violence. And there's all kinds of there's foundational violence. So basically, the initial act is one of coercion, right? We want a free society ruled by law. Well, how do you create that? Coercion. Same way, (laughs) how do you create a rational child? You don't reason with them. You indoctrinate them and you let nature take its course and let their brain develop, you know, with the right influences. But you're just trying to influence them. You're not trying to... It's a little confusing because, of course, you do reason with them. You give them examples of reasoning. Your educational project is modeled around trying to get them to understand what reasoning is and how they can use it. But they don't acquire that because it's reasonable, right? They're just going to acquire whatever it is you give them. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support. Thanks for listening.